Welcome, friends, to another episode of The Conversation, where I get to talk to interesting people about life and what's going on in the world today. Today, my special guest is Jeff Roders, and Jeff is the Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of Tones Ventures, an organization whose mission is to establish ventures that advance the kingdom of God. He is also one of the co-founders and directors of Guitars for Glory, a local nonprofit whose mission is to place instruments with people who don't have access to them around the world. He's passionate about using his gifts and his life to help others. He's married to Amy. I'm going to say 14 years, Jeff. Coming up on 14. Coming up on 14. Has two miracle children. Maybe we'll get into that. Literal miracle children, Isley and Shiloh. He's a great musician, worship leader, and all-around good guy. Jeff, Jeff, welcome to the conversation. Thank you. So let me um, first start, I should say, with maybe an obvious question, um, which has nothing to do with your work, but your life. How is the Roters family, you and your wife, kids, you know, relative to the coronavirus, you guys, uh, you know, uh, ho-hum living uh, in your backyard or what, how's life? Yeah, we're um, we're good. It's been challenging. I think, you know, my one of my big fears this year was Isley going into school because she's such a, mm. she clings, right? Uh, so when she got through the first month of school, crying every day, and then just kind of found a groove come, going into after Christmas, and then everything kind of fell apart. So, right. uh, but it's been good to have her home. Amy's dream was always to be a stay-at-home mom mm-hmm. and potentially a, a homeschool mom as well. So that sort of landed in her lap. Mm. Why didn't you just start that way if she wanted to do that? Uh, it's a long story. No, not necessarily a long story. I, I just we we prayed about it and felt like Finney was the place for okay, her. You good. know, Isley's super social, so yeah, she'll go play with her friends four or five hours a day and come home after ten minutes. She's saying, "Who, where, who am I going to see next?" Right. Uh, so from a social aspect, it was really good. Good. Um, but yeah, it it really hasn't felt a whole lot different. We're still. You know, we're usually home together. Amy finds things for them to do, and I go to work. So good. So yeah. that's great. Yep. I'm glad to hear that. Um, so let's start with GFG. Many people who do know you, um, we'll get into uh, your your tones ventures too, which um, people know less about. But many people probably associate you with GFG. But I don't know that everybody knows GFG is Guitars for Glory. Um, what was the need that this was started to meet? And maybe the second follow up is. Is the organization still on its original mission? Yeah, um, yeah. Introduced a lot as the GFG guy, which I'm. I've. I don't know why. Just sort of been trying to move away from that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is a huge part of my identity and what I feel like God's called me to. Uh, just trying to find other things as well that, uh, you know, outside of who Jesus is for me or to me uh, mm-hmm. that I can identify with and. But yeah, GFG still uh, is a huge part of who I am. And I think a lot of things I've learned and a lot of opportunities have been opened uh, up to me because of just trying to be faithful with what, that ministry. Uh, but yeah, it, I you I think you were with me, right. or with us in yep. Peru, but just seeing a need in a rural community um, where someone had had their guitar stolen and uh, she, this woman, felt called to go into people's homes and sing worship songs over mm-hmm. over people who are uh, suffering from AIDS or been diagnosed HIV positive. And so just hearing her story, and I think, you know, it's what, been 13 years now since that trip or 12 years, maybe 10. Was it been? What year was it? Peru that? had to be 2010. 
Okay, I thought it was. Maybe I was going to say 2013, but you would know better than me. But anyway, probably it's at least 10 years. I yeah, guess maybe 12. I don't okay. know. Okay, but yeah. yeah, and just uh, getting to the point where she's. I think we were either asking her where her guitar is, or hey, you want to? Can you play something? And she said someone had stolen mm. stolen it, climbed in her uh, kitchen window and and stole it, and it would take years to replace it with mm. with the income that she has. So, you know, just like any youth group trip, we had a couple of guitars laying around. We just gave her one, not thinking much of it. And then I think it was maybe three four months later, getting an email from from her or somebody she worked with, just saying how much it. Um, reignited her faith in in christ and and her mission to worship and and help people worship and so i think we just thought if there's one person like that there's got to be thousands more mm. and so fast forward we're going into year eight now placed around 670 instruments in over 70 countries mm. and now you what you didn't say in the short write-up you sent to me but say a little more unless this isn't true anymore sure but when I went with you to Belize a handful of years ago, I was really surprised because it was my catch up mm -hmm. that this was more than instruments. You guys were doing songwriting, you were doing guitar, um, you know, teaching guitar, teaching instruments. Um, and, and even in the few days I was there, it went from, you know, a couple people thrown together. I'm talking about people that were Belize in this case, who were then, you know, that night leading worship together. Is it still that kind of thing too? Yeah, to an extent, um, certainly with some personal things that have happened with health and, and and on our team and just some challenges that a lot of our team members have seemingly come into over the last three years, we've done less traveling. Um, so we've sort of gone back to our roots of just, you know, supplying the instruments and um, praying and, and, and spending time identifying legitimate recipients that, that have a deep need. Um, and yeah, and you know, our, our initial tagline, it still is, is equipping the world for worship. Um, I think how we do that has changed a bit, or mm -hmm. our perspective on what that looks like has has certainly changed. Um, from, I think at at one point, really focusing on the worship leader, and realizing uh, the worship leader's job becomes, uh, I wouldn't say less important, but less crucial if you focus on equipping the worshiper, right? Um, because so many times, even on a Sunday morning, you know, wherever you go to church, right. you can sit there and scrutinize how the worship leader is doing things and. Um, it doesn't sound good, or you know, we can do this better. And, and I think those things can be constructive, but it's also a lot of times coming from a place of preference rather than uh, from someone who's like truly desiring to worship. And so, if you equip the people in, in the in the pews to worship, and that's ultimately the worship leader's job, right? Um, it's. But I think if if their hearts are right, it, it really doesn't matter nearly as much what the worship leader on stage is doing, right? And so trying to kind of flip the model a little bit and uh, just encourage any anybody to be a worshiper of Jesus who certainly passionate about music. And that's kind of where How many, um, you said 600 and something was the number of instruments. How many countries? It's, we, we have done a poor job of tracking officially, but mm -hmm. we think we're around 70. Mm -hmm. And um, I know COVID's kind of put a damper on everything. Yeah. Um, so right now everything's kind of on hold as far as trips and stuff. I yeah, say. trips, even, even shipping stuff outside mm -hmm. of the U S is tough. We actually had a, our first meeting in person all back together earlier this week. And uh, a lot of us have been feeling a nudge, um, or a prompting to focus on encouraging people who are struggling with, with mental health. I mean, I think even now with COVID and isolation, people are feeling, you know, suicide hotline calls are up 10, 15 times what they were before, um, and I don't think that's an indication that COVID is 
causing depression, but I think right. it's just magnifying the, right. the deeper issues um, and, and the lack of relationships and connections that people are feeling. So um, we're exploring opportunities to partner with mental health organizations. Interesting. And, wow. What a, you never thought you'd be doing that with no, GFG. Yeah. And, but there, there have been times that we've placed instruments with, with people struggling with that and the stories that have come out of it mm. um, have been have been incredible. And I think we've sort of ignored that as a, as a target, you know, market. So quick question, I wonder, and we'll move on, but I mean, relative to GFG, cause I, you know, I mean, I've, I've traveled a fair amount, but I, in missions in my um, ministry career, but I, I don't, I didn't always look and understand things from the worship standpoint or from resources standpoint. When you think of all your travels in these many countries and just what you've learned, um, how much of the wider world out there would you, you know, you could just ballpark it, you know, half of it, 25%, 75% doesn't have the resources for this kind of stuff. You know, we, some of us who've never been out of this country don't have a vision for that. Yeah. I, I mean, even in this country, you know, I, I connect with uh, passionate, you know, people who are volunteers on their worship team who are, are, have, you know, one-tenth of what we do at Browncroft. Mm. And some of them are similar in size, you know. Mm. Uh, but globally, yeah, I'd say 75% of them are, you know, really making do with frayed cables and, you know, one instrument with three strings on it. Mm. Um, and I think it's given us perspective on, again, back to our own hearts. You know, we we have the privilege and, and, and the benefit to have access to a lot of great tools. Right. Um, but it's not the tools that, you know, make, make right. us great worshipers. Right. That's and, right. um, just seeing people, and I've probably, anybody who's heard me talk about GFG in the past, mm. probably have heard me say this before, but it's usually the people with absolutely nothing who give the most and who mm. understand it the most and, 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 and worship with their entire heart, you know, as opposed to myself, a fraction of it, you know, mm. I give what's comfortable to give. Right. Um, and you know, you met Marcos in Spain or in, Belize. Belize, yeah. He just, you know, work a full-time job and use his full-time job to pay for things the church needs. So yeah, it uh, definitely helped us realize that there's a need for what we're doing, but it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't solve a deep issue. Right. You know, the guitar is just a, a, a vessel. So speaking of that very point you made, even Marcos is a good example. All the places you've been, I mean, relative to Guitars for Glory's work, um, how is your experience in these ministries, in, in this ministry, seeing the world, how has it changed your point of view? I mean, you just Jeff Rogers gets up tomorrow morning. And how has your sense of the body of Christ or the church changed because of the exposure of GFG? Uh, yeah, I think as, as the American church, I don't think we listen enough. Mm. Um, and I last, not this past February, but the February before, I had the opportunity to go to Malawi um, to spend some time at a children's village there with the people I love at my work. And, um, and I remember, you know, preparing for the, the trip as a American Christian church goer, a big church, uh, my first, uh, inkling or initiative was to how, how let's figure out all the problems they have over there and go fix them. Mm. And uh, in our research before we left, just trying to understand the people there and the economic climate and, um, political climate and things they deal with, you know, I start doing research and watching videos. And I remember uh, just hearing a story. I mean, this might be a TEDx thing. I forget exactly where I saw it, but, you know, some 
American wealthy church businessman going over there and teaching uh, these Malawians how to farm, you know? And so he gets there and he sees uh, their crops being planted up on the top of the hill. And at the foot of this hill is this big lake, right? With all the water irrigation they can have access to. And he goes in, he keeps telling him, you guys don't know what you're doing. Why do you keep planting on the hills? And it's, this is what we have to do. This is what we have to do. And he goes, no, you guys are doing it all wrong. We know better. We're, we're the, you know, the saviors from, from America. And we know what we're doing way better than you do. Listen to us. Let us educate you. And, and I, the, the story there is that, you know, finally he convinces them to you know start planting these crops at the foot of the, the, the hill where the water is. And, um, by the time the crops start popping out from the ground, wake up one morning and they're all gone, you know? And, um, uh, hippos had come out of the water and they wow. start eating the crops. Right. And so just a story of, of like, if he had just listened, if we just listen, if we understand, and, and this goes into even what's going on in America right now. Um, I think I've realized as one of the leaders of the ministry that even when we first started, I think we're solving these problems. Um, and we go in to solve these issues, these things that we see, whether they're valid or not, but we don't listen first. We don't, um, we don't try and understand experience and humanity in these areas. And, uh, it sets us up to, to look like we know everything when we really right. don't, you know? So whether it's a guitar, um, or a piano or drums, the, the, the real thing there is the relationship. Right. Um, and so that's, I think what we're trying to, to focus on. Mm. Um, tell us a little bit, since people don't know almost no nothing about tones, ventures, Obviously, GFG is in some ways a, um, you know, evocation for you. It's a passion, a ministry, but it's never been your, you know, your bread sure. and butter. And you've done different things in your uh, last, you know, 10 years, let's say, of your career. But you, last couple of years, you've done something that's very unusual. Tell us a little bit about what you do. Yeah, I, I, I always joke about this. I think I'm really good at ideas that don't make money, you know, <laughs> and GFG is one of them. Um, and even if we could pull a salary, I think everybody on our team would like to see hundred percent of funds go towards programs. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not right or wrong. It's just kind of what we're passionate about, but it was actually through guitars for glory that I met Jason, and Nicole tones, mm. and you know, they had been going through a transformation in their own life, uh, from, you know, professionally and just understanding the value of family and, and, um, you know, I telling you a little bit about this earlier, but looking at what their legacy is going to be. Right. And, uh, so when they took a step out of their professional life and, and realized that God was calling them to do something through this new initiative called Tones Ventures, which uh, is a, our mission is to establish ventures that advance the kingdom of God. Um, and being in the marketplace as, as business people, um, you, can, you can reach and impact people's lives as much, if not more, than you can in, in the walls of the church, right? And mm -hmm. so just being out in the world, living a life that represents Jesus, mm -hmm. um, and, and investing in things that have eternal impact and not just an impact on your, on your wallet. Right. And so, uh, we, you know, we have a law firm, we have a creative agency, we have a real estate company, we have a family foundation, which is our, our vehicle for giving back to ministries and other nonprofits that are, that are doing things similar to, to guitars for glory, mm -hmm. um, working with organizations like, um, you know, people on a hill and mm -hmm. uh, Bethel Express and G Force Ministries, uh, and so yeah, it's uh, it's been the one thing that I think I've learned is, and I'd say I'm I'm a pretty equal balance of taking a step out in faith and using my business sense to make a 
sound operational decision. Um, when you look at Jason Nicole, uh, they've they've gone from the very business end of the spectrum to, hey Jeff, just chill out and we God's telling us to do this, so we're going to do it. Mm. And every time I question that, um, God just shows up, you know. And so they've taught me a lot and just having faith and, and trusting in that the kingdom economics are so different than you know business economics. Right. And not to abandon you know normal economics of business, but um, anytime that trumps you know kingdom economics, and we're that we're in we're in trouble. Mm. And so it's been uh, kind of a, a refuge for people who have or continue to walk through tough things, whether mm. it's health or broken marriages or um, just any any sort of challenges. It, mm. it, it is a family, just like my GFG family, you mm. know. So. Uh, it's been amazing. So for people who don't know, you know, and you'd have to look it up and talk to you more, Tones Ventures, Chasen Venture, he's a successful lawyer who has a, I don't know, a um, a, a, a wake-up call or a, a moment of truth or a calling, mm-hmm. as you just got done saying, and, and pivots as a still a young man, he still is, but I mean, was a young man um, and decides he wants to um, throw his, his energies, his money, his wisdom, his intelligence to start this organization that does all these things that you say, GFGs, how you found your way in there. So my question, all that about you, not Jason, is, you know, would you say you're in the midst of a calling? You know, is, are you, do you see yourself as a, you know, vocational minister of a kind? And is it, does it surprise you where you are today or does this make sense for you? Yeah, uh, I think it, Completely makes sense, mm. uh, but it still doesn't take away like being enamored that God has knit this all together. Mm-hmm. You know, it, we, He shows up, and as humans, we're always surprised when He shows up. Which I don't know why we mm. are, but we constantly are. And sometimes it's just out of like out of awe, but sometimes it's like I can't believe God did that. Well, He promises certain things, right? And He does show up, and um, but we we still can't believe it when he does. Right. Um, and I think this is one of those moments, you know, people ask me, I've had the question multiple times, would you, if GFG had the opportunity, if somebody infused $10 million in the GFG and you could go full-time doing GFG, would you do it? I absolutely would not. Um, because I feel like where I am right now as a, in my profession and the people I'm doing it with is exactly what God has been aligning for the last 10 years. Mm. And I don't, if I hadn't been doing GFG the way that I have been doing, I, I don't know that I would be in this position. You know? Right. You said two things I want to make point out before we move on mm-hmm. that I think are so interesting. One is that you found this sort of, I don't know, you didn't say the word dream job, but dream in the sense of it's hard to you it's hard to have written this out on a piece of paper. Yeah. Tom's Ventures, which is, you know, fingerprints from, you know, the local business community to national businesses around the country to Africa and, and mission organizations. I mean, it's so broad from what you've told me and what I've seen. It's doing expanding the kingdom in in various and sundry ways. I know you guys are connected with Joe Bean, you yep. know, which is cool, but I mean that's who would have put that in sure. in the portfolio? So it's it's very interesting. And one, you found that through GFG. Um, so at one point I want to make is how the road to your calling in life, to one's calling's life, is not always linear. Mm-hmm. And it's back to what you're saying, just be open to what God's doing. I love that. Sure. So you would never, when you started GFG, you and your and your two buddies, and said, This is what we're gonna do um in 2013 or whatever, I'm sure that didn't um you didn't see Tone's Ventures in there. No. But then the other thing that you just said before we got on the call was, 
I think if I think if you gave the elevator speech on what you do for a living, most people would say, you know, you you're you're like it's unbelievable. It's like this. Just someone could write, set down a piece of paper, and say, someone who loves Jesus and who has the gifts and skills that you do, here's a dream job, mm. right? Of that, and I'm right here in Rochester, New York. But what you told me also was it's one of the hardest things you've ever done. Yeah. So um, <laughs> that sometimes the dream, so say a few words about that. You know, yeah, sometimes our dream's job is not sitting around the pool having, you know. Whatever. Sure, sure. I, I think um, part of it is, and not that in my previous positions, I wasn't entrusted with, you know, heavy responsibilities and, and, and things, but um, Jason and Nicole have entrusted me with the, their whole life really um in their the direction of their businesses and, and not that i'm the one making the decisions we do it all together um but i'm in a place where they ask my opinion and i know they're listening you know uh and it it's been it's been hard we've had challenges um we've had you know difficulties in 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 operations of business and relationships and and all those things but uh to be in a place where everybody on staff has a, has a has a deep relationship with with Jesus Christ and mm. a, a passion to see ministries like GFG thrive, mm-hmm. um, help helping them tell their stories through uh, creative work and, and storytelling and video and um, it's it's I think the difficulty of it is self imposed kind of weight on on my own shoulders to yeah. um, be a good steward of the resources that yeah. we have. Yeah, and so, but it's it's incredibly rewarding. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I, I'd say the same for myself. I feel like I have a dream job, um, for me. But it's it's um you know it's it's an it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. It's it's you know it's it's very challenging. It's um it's you know sometimes it's a it's 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 a roller coaster ride. But you know that's sure. part of the beauty of you know God's called us into um, real live adventure mm-hmm. you know so i loved i love hearing that so i want to change gears in our short time to talk about a subject that's um near and dear to your heart but also on the uh and on the on the on the um front of the mind of our world which is race and you and your wife amy adopted a little boy um i don't even know has it been three or four years ago i can't even remember because time goes by so fast how yeah, old is shiloh shiloh will be four in september okay so, so three and a half about. three and a half years ago and shiloh happens to be black so that's um i don't know that you i mean i remember kind of the story but i don't know that you and amy you know wanted to adopt a black child maybe you did i don't sure. remember hearing that but you you ended up adopting a black child and you love him and he's been a great part of your family and um but you know how has that experience impacted informed um your point of view on race in, in america or racism sure yeah it's uh it's a hot topic for a good reason right now you know and um i think i'm a better writer than i am speaker so i did write some things down uh, just to kind of keep me on track but yeah I, when when we were going through the beginning stages of adoption um, I think Amy said, I, I would love to adopt a, a black child. And mm-hmm. I said, great. Like, I didn't think anything of of skin color. You know, it's whoever God gives us uh, the opportunity to adopt, then that's that's who I want. And I think looking back, that's a little naive because what I'm realizing now um, is that, you know, there's great responsibility uh, in, in America to, to teach my son, who is black, what will be different for him than was for me or... Um, or white children, you know, 
And um, and I think you know tying this back to Guitars for Glory, three years ago, right after Shiloh was placed with our family, I got a call from uh, from an organization I knew nothing about called the Bridge Brothers, um, which is a group of seven black uh, worship leaders up and down the East Coast that wanted to hold an event for for GFG down in like Northampton, Virginia. And so we got in the truck and went down there um, and and were part of their worship event where they raised money uh, for us. And, and we had the ability just to sit and talk with them and and learn about some of the things that they deal with, you know, as, as, as black men. Um, and it was just incredible timing where I, I know God orchestrated that relationship because I would need them for my son, uh, where I got to ask questions that were probably some of the dumbest things uh, a guy like me like a, it's just a white guy right you know who lives in the suburbs suburbs could ask but they were so uh transparent and honest and willing to let me ask questions um and so as i think i've morphed from somebody who would say i'm i'm not racist i, I don't have any hatred in my heart towards somebody who looks different to realizing that racism is 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 not just that but a set of systems and structures that have been in place in our country for, you know, hundreds of years that have oppressed and been violent, um, that have been exclusive to primarily, you know, people who are white. Um, and, and, you know, learning that apathy is like one of the most dangerous things that you can, you can live in. Um, and so, you know, they've, they've really been instrumental in, in, you know, telling me like, you know, one of them, one of these guys told me that, uh, they live in the suburbs and, you know, going into their own neighborhood over the last four years, they've been pulled over 14 times, you know, mm. things like that, that mm. I'm, I've never been pulled over once in my life. Um, that I'm realizing, um, Shiloh will have different experiences growing up. And so, uh, and how about you guys? So one is what you're learning, like through third parties, like these guys, mm -hmm. um, that you just mentioned. And I think all of us are doing a little bit of that, hopefully more and more, you know, just reaching out to people we know or, or going a little further in our, our learning and our in our relationships, as you say, um, like the, like you did with these men who kind of came your way, but you 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 took the opportunity. Mm -hmm. But now that you are, um, you you have a black member of your family, yeah. right? And uh, it's a funny way to say it, but I mean, you know, I mean, you, you, a member of your family is black, uh, obviously a very close member, someone you love, your, mm -hmm. your son, and you go to the grocery store, maybe not so much now, but I mean, you go to the grocery store and you go to, you know, baseball games or whatever. Maybe your experience is no different. I'm just wondering, is the experience different? You have neighbors, you know, that whole thing. Yeah. You know, um, Amy... If you guys know my wife, she's very outspoken. She's our neighborhood president. Um, <laughs> I did know so that. So anytime we walk around the block, she's, you know, she's campaigning. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, in our neighborhood, not so much. I've certainly been in grocery stores where I've gotten weird looks. I've, I've had small white children make comments um, that weren't nice, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, that, that sits with you, right? right. Um, and Shiloh, you know, he's three, so he's not. He doesn't necessarily pick up on those things, but he asks questions now. He's like, why is my skin different than yours? And mm. um, and things that three, four years ago, I would never have thought I would I would need to answer, you know? Uh so yeah, it's it's a little it's a little different. I don't 
at first I didn't think anything of it, but now um, with you know things being more prevalent in the, in the news, even though I try not to watch the news at all, uh, <laughs> I think it's I think it's a good thing that these conversations are happening. Right. Um, one thing that I think I had a defining moment in uh, knowing that my son is black and he's in li- we live in this house together. I, recently, we were looking through um, the paperwork on our on our house. Like, I forget what for what reason, but. Um, even the deed of my house says no people of color should ever own a house in this neighborhood or live in these houses. Right? Really? And, and you only live across the street from me, right? right? right. So I, I challenge you to look at your deed and see if it's that the same is mind blowing. I didn't know that. Yeah. And so, um, and, and now there is Shiloh's hm. uh, black and he lives in this house and, and he should, you know? And so it, it, it just that makes would have been what fifties. What's your house? Nineteen forty nine. Oh, okay, not that long ago, right? Right. right I mean, right. And, and the fact that some of this language is still on our paperwork today is just is oh, that's amazing, mind blowing. And uh, yeah, I had another epiphany recently. Like, you know, Amy looks at houses all the time. She always wants to buy the next house. And um, but even listings on on real estate is the master bedroom. Well, what is that named after? Right, the master bedroom is named after where the master lived mm-hmm. in the house, and it all. It's just racism and uh, systems and structures are so deeply rooted in the fabric of our country, and it's it's uncomfortable to talk about, right? And I've uh, three years ago, I had a hard time talking about this because I mm. felt like I felt defensive, like I've not, right. I haven't done anything wrong, right? And whether that's true or not, we we benefit from these systems, right? You know, I wonder. Speaking, I've never heard of that story you just told about the deed. But I, in, in, in all this bad news, and I think there is a lot of bad news, sure. and there's a lot of learning and, and a lot of catching up and a lot of things that we need to face and change, I, I suppose there's a, there's a, there's a um, little bit of encouraging news in that, that you and I are so surprised living in the neighborhood we live in, sure. right? That that was true, that that was, that was rank and file business in, in the 1950s or whatever. Mm. And so at least there's been some progress. Yeah, I mean that. I mean uh, that would shock someone sure. today if you were writing a doing a uh, a real estate deal on you know in twenty twenty. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I think you know something that Amy and I've talked about is trying to get the language change on those deeds. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I I have a hard time thinking about Shiloh like opening up that paperwork someday and seeing it. That's uh, right. Uh, but also. You know, or him and his wife buying sure, a house someday. Sure, yeah. Right, right. Hmm. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's a lot. Yeah. Um, so another question for you, which may relate to what your 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 son and this whole issue of race, or maybe mm-hmm. not. But as you think about, you know, not only Shiloh, when you think about the couple big changes, both the starting and developing of GFG, Tones Ventures, which is huge. It's only been three years in there and other things in your life, how would you say you, your walk with God has been most challenged or deepened in the last, let's say, year or so? If you had to say, put your finger on something, what would it be? It's it's a culmination of things. You know, it's a, it's my work, it's my children, my marriage. Um, I think, yeah, my health is another one. I, I've always, I feel like the last three years I've been able to, talk at Browncroft a couple of times or been invited to, to speak on different things or be part of different sermons. Um, and I, I know I mentioned to you, uh, this in the short bio I sent over, but just 
uh, realizing that like pain and, and suffering and trials, I think for so many people, it becomes the end of something for them. But for me, I see it as a kind of a launching pad for the next thing. And, you know, when we went through our infertility uh, stuff, Amy and I, and, and seeing God deliver it, deliver us from a lot of pain and things that we had had to work through. Um, I made a promise in that moment, like anytime we walk through something like this or that's that hurts um, we're going to use it to help people behind us and and so oh, it's been almost a year i think now since i started having you know strange feelings in my body and um and some pain that i had no clue what was and you know fast forward three months from a year ago i diagnosed with ms and um and now i've been living with it for nine months and i just i see if we let god use you know, the, the darkest parts of our lives to, to walk with people behind it, then he, there's so much growth that happens in that. Mm. Uh, over the last nine months, I've connected with people all over the world dealing with the same stuff who don't have the same hope that I have, mm. um, who is Jesus. And uh, being able to, to answer very direct questions like, how do you, how do you have that attitude toward, you know, about your disease or about, uh, an adoption that goes to trial and you're, you know, fighting in court to, to keep your boy or infertility when your wife thinks, you know, maybe she married the wrong guy because I can't give her kids. Um, I see all those as just incredible turning points in my life and opportunities to really let people know who Jesus is. Right. Um, doesn't take away pain. Like it doesn't, doesn't remove the pain of this world, but uh, what it does is open up opportunity to, to love people deeper than you could ever wish or hope for. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I've been leaning into those moments more. And instead of saying, you know, why God, why are you doing this? Um, just say, show, show me the door, you know, you want me to walk through. Um, show me the person that needs to be loved on or hugged or, mm. you know, socially distanced hugged now. But um, yeah, I, it's it's an interesting time. Never in my life have I, that I think we'd have this weird pandemic where we can right. be with people and, um, but yeah, God continues to use it. I know he's going to, he's going to do something. Yeah. Let, let me close with a final question, sure. building off of what you just said. One is one, one thing I think I'm hearing you just said in your last um, few minutes is how much suffering, difficulty, whether it's health, whether it's the coronavirus, whether it's, um, the, you know, uh, facing some of our demons or our, our less than our better angels, even in race, et cetera that it brings us or it can bring us to greater dependence on God. Mm -hmm. um, and I think greater dependence on God in many ways is um, a source of um, great hope and power and meaning. So I think that's one thing. But when you think about um, the coronavirus, let's just end there. And you think about, you know, this blanket that's over the world, right? Mm -hmm. And I like what you said before. Oh, I forget what we were saying, what the point was, but you said it um, it didn't cause the problem, but it magnified the problem. Sure. And I think that is so true, whether it's people's problems or business um, weaknesses. But when you think about, let's say, the work of the gospel, whether that's uh, Tones Ventures, Browncroft Community Church, GFG, um, you and me talking to our neighbors, you know, how might the coronavirus be um, 
uh, a, a, um, a force for change or said another way, what might need to be done differently as we emerge from the coronavirus when you think about the work of the ministry, so to largely? Yeah. I, you know, I think a lot about a lot of churches, right? Even, even Browncroft, we're not a couple of years outside of a building campaign, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that's not a bad thing, right? But in, uh, within a month or two, it's building doesn't matter anymore. Right. Um, and that doesn't mean it's not a great tool to to impact people and to get people, you know, in the seats of our churches and 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 worshiping together and listening to your your messages and, um, but it, it to me it just points back towards it's it's all about relationship and relationship you don't need a building mm-hmm. you know um, God uses our ministries certainly um, and there's been amazing events at our church and churches all around Rochester or right. around New York, uh, but. Yeah, for me, it's and and I'm an introvert. Amy's an extrovert, so like I said, when we're walking around the block. She's talking to everybody, and I'm like, I just want to go inside. Let's get <laughs> out of here. Um, but it has shown me that, you know, I I need to be more intentional in my in my relationships. Mm-hmm. I need to be more intentional with the people that I don't know who who see me every day. Right. Um, getting out of the car and going right inside, and I, I think, you know, it's 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 shown me that the church is 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 who we interact with right, right. It's, it's we're we're the church and the the sending out of people from right. from these church walls is what's most important and i think if if we all of a sudden this thing lifts tomorrow and we just go right back inside right. our building and and forget about doing all these things that are whether it's sitting in your front yard with three of your neighbors six feet apart we weren't doing a lot of that before um, that's right now people are just longing for interaction right um yeah and you know I don't know. I, I've struggled a little bit with, like, what is the church supposed to look like after right. this? If there isn't some sort of big change, then we've missed a huge opportunity. Well, you know, I was thinking about this this morning, or maybe it was yesterday. Um, I just happened to be reading the book, parts of the book of Acts, and there's this one verse, Acts chapter 8, you know, it says, great persecution. Um, the church experienced great persecution, and everyone except the apostles, this is a paraphrase, um, left Jerusalem. Now, hmm. if you know the story of the book of Acts, the first eight chapters, the church starts, there's, goes from 3,000, probably five, nine, there could be, I'm just hypothesizing, 10,000 people that started, this is the only church exists at the time, but there was a, it was an amazing start. If I was a part of that organization in, the, in, in those three, five, 10 years, between Acts 2 and Acts 8, mm-hmm. you would say, this is unbelievable. This is a what you and I would call a megachurch overnight, and it's amazing and it's great. In Acts chapter 8, except for the 12 apostles, the church emptied out overnight. Mm-hmm. Now, I thought to myself, if I was there, if I was a board member, I'd say to myself, this is the worst day of my life. <laughs> this is but if you open, if you step back and look at the whole book of Acts, which only covers about 30 years or 40 years of time, of course, you and I know that all of those people that left, those 10,000 people, mm-hmm. whatever, that were kicked out of Jerusalem under persecution, they went all over you know, the Middle East and sure. Europe. And within 35 years, who knows how many churches. So it just makes me think of what you just said. Um, what is the lesson? You know that the church has been temporarily now, you know, a hundred plus days and counting, um, 
the you cannot do church the old way mm-hmm. or the previous way. And what is the church, me and you, and people like us doing in the world um, because we're not here? Yeah. And so I, I uh, that's a great question, and and we don't know the answer to that yet, which is so interesting here as we sit here this afternoon. We just don't know the answer. But, sure. But I like you hope the answer is not going to be we just we're sitting around waiting to go back. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I want to come back, but I mean, I want us to be different. Oh, I do too. I I miss it. Um, but yeah, I th- to me, I guess one last thing is I think about, and I'd I'd written this down. I think it sort of is in line. Is just if we're not. I think it's so easy to go sit on the Sunday. We've taught, you've given sermons right. about this for years. Sit on a Sunday and then you go live your life for the rest of the week, right. right? And I think if we talk about race, if we talk about people dealing with health issues, mental health, you know, physical health, whatever it is, um, I I hope that this drives us to just living a life of empathy for yeah. these people in their situations. And yeah, I'd written this down. I don't know if this if I, can I read it. Yeah, please. Um, The New Testament presents Jesus as a supreme example of empathy, as one who fully understands both the experience of God and the experience of humanity. I think if we have the responsibility, I think we have a responsibility that extends beyond one of just spirituality. Jesus's experience with human life is is what in the end led him to the cross and our understanding of humanity will ultimately do the same for us. And I just, I think about the pain, the pain people are feeling right now, right? And our, our, Calling to be like Jesus is a calling to be empathetic, and um, man, I, you know, whether it's the fear people are having living at home and wearing their masks in their in their living room, sitting by themselves, or, or whatever, I think Jesus um, will be seen in us by the way that we show people that we we love and care for them, you know, mm. and and um, I just want to like rid all apathy from my my life. Yeah, yeah, and I think relationships is key. Mm. Well, Jeff, thank you for the time. If anyone wants to learn more about either GFG or Tomes, what do they what do they do? Yeah, go to uh, for Guitars for Glory. You can just go to guitarsforglory.com um, or for Tones Ventures. I think right now the, the best place to, to go would be either tonesventures.com or tonesstudios.com, which is our where we're doing a lot of creative agency type work for right. ministry. Great. Thanks for the time. Thanks for yeah, being thanks with for us. Thanks for having me. Friends, thanks for listening to the conversation. Look to have continued this conversation soon.